And I invite you to turn this afternoon to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour? to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There is no doubt that we are living in days of what could be described as gnawing fear and anxiety. Without much comment, I could just move on. And if we're to effectively deal with these anxieties, these fears, these concerns, these matters of worry, if we're to overcome, then it's vitally important that you and I have an understanding as to what is essentially behind our worry. Now, some will say the devil made me do it. The devil causes my worry. In fact, they'll say this old devil is the source of all my troubles, all my worries. And in a sense, that might be true. That is true in some regard. But when we look at the passage before us, implicit in these sayings of our Lord Jesus is that we're the ones who must take responsibility 
for this issue of worry in our hearts and lives. And this is clearly suggested by the imperatives. The issues, look at verse 25, for instance. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own evil. What is significant in these commands is that the force of the language that is used here in our passage has the effect of saying, stop being anxious. It is the aorist tense, and it has this idea of Jesus saying, as it were, stop it and stop it at once. We want to look this afternoon very briefly at five statements, five propositions, and we'll move through these in quick order. Five propositions, five statements concerning worry. Number one, worry is a priority issue. Worry is a priority issue. Verses 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Worry, we gather here, is very much related to the things on which we place value, the things we treasure. And there's nothing wrong with treasuring things. We have things that we treasure, things that we take delight in. There's absolutely nothing, or we should take out the word absolutely, there is nothing wrong, per se, with treasuring things. But those treasures become problematic when they become the be-all and end-all of our lives. And within the overall context of this passage in which Jesus talks against this matter of worry, Jesus is suggesting that when earthly treasures take center stage in our lives, when they become the be-all and end-all of our lives, then we begin to have inner discord and distraction, otherwise known as worry. In fact, the word that is used there for worry, the Greek word merimnao, literally means to be divided in two minds, to be divided in mind. When a person is worried, there's all kinds of distraction taking place, inner discord, inner distractions, and we are torn apart, and that is what causes anxiety, that is what causes worry. And Jesus is suggesting here that we worry because our values are misplaced. We are treasuring earthly things. We are treasuring earthly things. We are thinking on earthly things. We are making them the be-all and end-all of our existence. You see, treasuring the things of this earth will necessarily lead to worry. Why? Because there will always be the concern as to who is going to rob us. That is what our Lord Jesus is saying here. There is a concern. There will always be the concern as to who is going to steal them, who is going to take them from us. And mark you whether or not we like to think of it, at some point or another, they are going to be destroyed and... uh, there is the question, there is a concern now as to how we're going to survive without them. 
The fact is, regardless of how careful we might be, regardless of how meticulous we might be in trying to secure our treasures, they can be stolen. They can be stolen because there will always be thieves who are smart, thieves who are sophisticated, thieves who can crack any system. And then think of the fact that regardless of how they are acquired, regardless of how precious they might be to us and how much meticulous we might be in guarding them, they cannot last forever. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 24, for riches do not last forever. In the midst of our days, we leave them. The prophet Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17, verse 11, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. And here in these verses, our Lord Jesus assures us, Jesus assures us as believers in him, that our treasures are lasting. They are lasting, why? Because they are in heaven. And being in heaven means that they are under heaven's security system. They are under heaven's lock and key. They are under divine protection. That is why in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we are told that since we are risen in Christ, that is to say, since we live in him, since our existence is in him, we are to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that we are to not set our minds on things which are on the earth, but on things which are above. We are to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Remember, our Lord Jesus taught elsewhere that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. We worry when we place emphasis on things to the point where we believe that our existence or security is dependent on those things. And then we all kinds of questions come in. How are we going to maintain these things? What if they are taken from us? What if they rust? What if they go out of existence? How are we going to survive? What if the stock market crash? And so on and so forth. Which, of course, stands to reason that we should not make them the focus and passion of our lives. The fact is, earthly treasures, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, are uncertain. They have a way of engendering anxiety in the hearts of those who trust in them. And that's suggested by our Lord in verse 24, also related to this matter of misplaced priority, causing worry and anxiety in our lives. He says there, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We worry, Jesus is suggesting here, when there are not only misplaced priorities, but competing loyalties, competing Loyalties in our lives. At the heart of worry is not only misplaced priorities, but competing loyalties. There in verse 34, Lord Jesus states, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient to the day is its own trouble. So the first thing we realize then is that worry comes as a result of misplaced priorities. Secondly, Second truth we learn from this passage is that worry is pointless. Worry is pointless. Look at verses 25, 26. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, 
what you will put on, is not life, here's a question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The point our Lord Jesus is making here is this, that food, clothing, as well as our lives were created by an all-powerful God. And yet the difference between our lives and food and clothing is that whereas food and clothing are all dispensable, are all disposable, our lives are not. The point is, if God was so powerful to have created our bodies, then it's absurd to question his power to provide food for the body. If God so powerful to have created our bodies, which way supersedes food that is perishable, then it is absurd to question his power, his ability to provide food for our bodies, and that our lives are far more important than food and clothing, among other things, is this, that God will care for us even far more than he does for the birds of the air or for the lilies of the field. Why? Because he places far greater value on us as human beings. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, here it comes, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's what our Lord Jesus uh, suggests there. It's a pointless exercise when you think of God's almighty power having created our bodies with our bodies which are so intricate, intricately designed. Our bodies weigh supersede food and God provides food. God is great in, in terms of his having created us, having formed our bodies, then how much more will he not provide food for our bodies? bodies? And furthermore, we have more value than the birds of the air. The birds can't call God Father. Birds are mere creatures of his. We are creatures of his, yes, but we are on a higher level. We have the privilege of calling him our heavenly father and he says will not your heavenly father feed and clothe you so he's saying here it's pointless and foolish for us to worry about our survival but jesus also cites the fact that it is pointless it is needless for us to worry because Notice verse 27, worry preoccupies itself with matters over which one has absolutely no control. One such matter is verse 27, one cannot add a single hour to one's life. And which of you, he says, verses 27, 28, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. It's pointless to worry. Why? Because ultimately, yes, you can put food in the body, you can exercise your body, and there's a sense in which we can, through exercise, through diet, prolong our life, God permitting. But the fact is, we're going to die one day. And he says, listen, properly speaking, we cannot by worrying cause not even one hour to be added 
to our lives. Second, worry is misplaced because worry prematurely, worry prematurely takes on tomorrow's trouble. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What he's saying here is this, we have enough to worry about today. <laughs> Live out today. See how God provides. See how God works on our behalf and trust him for tomorrow. Do not take tomorrow's trouble. Do not take next year's trouble. Somebody says, well, what if next year this happens? What if next week this happens? God is saying here, look, we have enough trouble today. Deal with that trouble. Trust God in those troubles and leave the rest to God. Third declaration, third suggestion of our text is that worry is a poisonous enemy. Not only is worry pointless, and not only is worry a matter of misplaced priority, but worry is a poisonous enemy. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So let's look at that verse one, once again. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And the, the, the implicit answer is absolutely no one. And here's the truth, whereas we can, or rather we cannot by worrying, increase our lifespan. Here's the truth. The truth is that if nothing else, when we worry, we actually decrease our lifespan. You see what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is saying there, even though he doesn't say it in so many words, that worry in effect shortens our lifespan. We have the doctors today who tell us that worry creates ulcers. Worry creates all kinds of problems. Even what is, you know, they have a term, they call it a fancy term, psychosomatic problem, psychosomatic problems. And that is people sometimes have pain and they, those pains feel real. They go to the doctor, they say, I'm having a pain in my back. I'm having a pain in my stomach. And when the doctor examines, there's absolutely nothing wrong. What is happening? Worry, anxiety, fear. But here's the point, beloved. If that's serious, what is even more serious is that worry affects us spiritually. Worry affects us spiritually. And you ask also, look at the text. Worry makes us short-sighted. Worry makes us short-sighted. It makes us short-sighted with respect to the reality of God's goodness and care for us. When we are worrying, what happens? We become blindsided. We become uh, ignorant, in a sense. We become uh, forgetful of the fact that God is a loving Father who is concerned not just about our salvation, but he's concerned about every area, every aspect of our lives. Listen to verses 26 through 30. Listen how worry makes us short-sighted. Jesus had to say to his disciples, look at the birds of the air. See all the birds flying? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value? He said, don't you realize that if that's the case, you are of more value? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, here it comes, verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The assumption here, implicit in these words, is that the the disciples had become short-sighted to the fact of God's care, God's concern, of God's love, of God's provision for them. When we begin to lose sight of God's goodness, when we begin to lose sight of who God is in relation to us, namely He's a Father who cares, then it's going to affect our spiritual lives. It's going to affect us not just physically, it's going to affect us spiritually. We're going to be living in doubt. If we doubt God's provision for food, then we're going to doubt him in other areas of our lives. We're going to doubt his salvation. We're going to doubt his promises that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The one who comes to be believing in me, I will never cast out. We're going to be be doubting God in virtually almost every other area of our lives. Someone has well said that so far as is known, no bird ever tried to build more nests than its neighbor. No fox ever fretted because they had only one hole in the earth in which to live and hide. No squirrel ever died in anxiety lest he should not lay up enough nuts for two winters ahead of one. And no dog ever lost sleep over the fact that he did not have enough bones buried in the ground for his declining years. Think of that. They just go about, read Psalm 104, the providential care of God over his creation. And what Jesus is saying here is this. That if ever we fail to trust and believe God and trusting our lives to him, we're going to be worrying to the point where we're going to become short-sighted concerning who God is, concerning God's power, concerning his ability to provide for us. This brings us to our fourth proposition, namely that worry is a problem of faith and trust in God. Worry is a problem of faith and trust in God. Look at verse 30. This is clearly implied in verse 30 because Jesus, gently chiding his disciples, he said to them, listen, O you of little faith, suggesting there that worry really is an expression of a lack of faith and trust in God. We are worrying when we are not trusting. And then the last proposition I want for us to see from this passage, verses 31-32, is that worry is a pattern of the ungodly world. Worry is a pattern of the ungodly world. Look at verses 31-32. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Here it comes. Why? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them all. When he speaks of Gentiles, you and I are Gentiles. But in this context, when he, when he refers to the Gentiles, the Gentiles in this context is referring to the unsaved, unbelieving world. The word of God is saying here that when we are given to worry and anxiety, unfounded worry and anxiety, we are actually living like pagans. We are actually living like the heathen who do not know God. 
So in closing this afternoon, we ask the question, and we've got to find the answer from this text, is there a solution? Is there a remedy for worry? And let me say here, beloved, that there sure is, but it's not going to be found in a pill. It's not going to be found in the bottle. It's not going to be found in things. It's not going to be found in some pleasure. What is the solution to worry according to our Lord Jesus? Look at verse 33. Here it comes. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God essentially is this. It is the rule of God in one's heart and life. What is our Lord Jesus saying there? The way to deal with anxiety, the way to deal with worry is to have God rule and reign in the heart. It's to have him as umpire in the heart. That's what Colossians 3.16 says. He says, let the peace of God rule, and the Greek word there means umpire, let it umpire in your heart. That's what we need to do. You see, when all is said and done, the fundamental reason, the underlying fundamental reason as to why we worry is this. It is because we fail to give God his rightful place in our hearts and lives. That's it. When we trace all the factors in our worry, we can come to this irreducible minimum, which is this, that we are worrying because God does not have first place in our lives. He is not sanctified in our lives where we actually see him as being bigger than our problems. Isaiah 32, verses 16 and 17 tell us precisely how the rule and reign of God's righteousness in our hearts and lives is productive of peace. Listen to the word of God. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 16 and 17. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, here comes quietness and trust forever. That's the rule of God. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The prophet Isaiah is saying here, when righteousness pervades our lives, then we will know the peace of God. You see, so as to find peace and serenity of heart, what does the world do? The world go, goes after partying, goes after gorging themselves with food, with drink, with all kinds of pleasures to titillate the senses. But according to the sure, infallible word of God, true, lasting, enduring peace is to be found when one's heart and life comes under the sovereign sway of God, when his kingdom is ruling in our hearts. And notice how we are to let his kingdom rule in our hearts. He says what? But seek first. That means seek God's rule as a matter of priority. Seek it first above all else. Seek it first in time before every other activity. Everything we do must revolve around the honor, the glory, the rule of God in our lives. And the word of God is saying here that when that is in place, the peace of God will rule, will umpire in our hearts, in our lives. May God bless these truths to our hearts. Of course, all of these things 
were made possible through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace.